0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hi and welcome in Lake is Live. It is Tuesday night, December 6th, year of our Lord, 2022. Here's the thing about adulthood... Not just a Monday through Friday thing. Adulthood is not just 9 to 5. Adulthood is for it. 24-7, 365, and sometimes it can really, really suck. But we're here to talk about the pluses and the minuses. We are jam-packed, high atop a saturated downtown Nashville, Tennessee. There are balloons in the hallway. There are velvet ropes. It reeks of management. I'm told we have some big, big, big wigs in town tomorrow. Will we come in? Maybe, maybe not. The portal's on fire. The portal's on fire, and this is the time of year where I suggest you don't miss a show. Not that there's a time of year I suggest you do, but things are changing by the minute and may change before we go off air tonight. The Heisman is something that I don't spend a lot of time talking about, but I think college football has a Heisman problem, so much so that they brought your boy on CBS News today to talk about it. That's right. You're lucky I'm still here. Uh, I've done the news anchoring thing. not my cup of tea. I got some thoughts on Deion Sanders, too. Deion Sanders is playing hardball. Deion Sanders being a little rough with the kids out there. Do you agree with his tactics, with his methodology? My DMs, which stands for direct messages for those unfamiliar, are filled with people telling me Deion Sanders is treating college kids the way college kids shouldn't be treated. And look, my whole thing is I didn't know they were kids anymore. I thought we had, I thought we had turned them into adults. I thought we had given them the perks of adulthood. We have. There just happen to be some consequences that come with that, too. Ooh, there's that real world people were talking about. Real world's not always fun, everyone. I've got some bold predictions, too. Speaking of not fun, some of you better grab a pillow and bury your face in it, because we are starting tonight one of several segments over the next month and a half where we will, drumroll, please, revisit your bold predictions. You didn't think I deleted these, did you? No, no, no. We spent all of August... Gathering bold predictions. Everyone wanted to talk, and I'm all for it. I made some myself, but we did segment after segment after segment, and we saved every one of them. And we will start to dive into the bag tonight. They're watching us in Haymarket, Virginia, Charleston, South Carolina, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and Kingman, Arizona. I think I've decided on who we're going to do the collaborative show with. That person has not been informed. They have won a prize that gives them no money. But they soon will, and we will get that recorded, and I will let you know when that episode is going to drop. It will be paper pop in nature. Let's dive into the show tonight. The transfer portal's on fire. I think that's pretty obvious. Over a thousand kids went in it in the first 24 hours that the window was open, and I have got three words on a very helpful orange posted here. It says "informed but unprepared." Uh, those are words from a very high-level staffer at a very high-level program that I talked to yesterday about all the goings on. What does that mean, informed but unprepared? If you're informed, well, what's your excuse for being unprepared? Well, here's the excuse. A lot of staffs knew this was coming. Told you this for the last month and a half. I kept banging the drum of you've never seen anything like you're about to see with the transfer portal. I wasn't just making that up. Every coach was telling me, you've never seen anything like what's about to come in the transfer portal. Well, now you see it. We've only seen the beginning. Those numbers are going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Some of those players you'll never hear from again. And they'll just be more cautionary tales of what happens when you dive into the portal because it looks like college football's playground and everyone's just hanging out in there. The portal's not a playground. Mimo used to tell me all the time, the portal's not a playground. Some of you are going to learn the hard way. Some of you should have had Memo in your life. But that's for another day. Right now, everyone's got hopes and dreams and aspirations. You could be a portal flipper. You could be a portal dipper. One goes somewhere else and one stays, of course. But ill prepared, how are you unprepared? Unprepared is the state that a lot of these programs have found themselves in. You may think it's like mission control at NASA inside the halls of Alabama or Kentucky or Nebraska or whatever. And some places they've got it down and some places they don't. And the places they don't have it down, it's not because this took them by surprise, it's quite the opposite. They knew it was coming. But it's hard to go convince your administration that you need funding for an entire new department and a department that didn't have any reason to exist four or five years ago. I mean, imagine for a second going to your chancellor or your president or your AD and saying, hey, I need about one and a half, two million more dollars in my budget minimum. Why do you need that? We need a college scouting department. What do you mean a college scouting department? You don't get players from college, you get them from high school, don't you? We've got a recruiting budget already. No, 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 no. We want to keep the recruiting budget. In fact, we even want to fatten that up a little bit, but we also need a college scouting department, because now the transfer portal is such that we have to scout all the college players, and we have to be able to go get all the college players, and oh, we also need personnel here that are specifically tasked with working the transfer portal. They're not double dipping. They're not spending part of their day in quality control. Uh, They're not a a defensive GA. And then in their free time, you know, when they go home tonight, they do their portal stuff. We need people working the portal full time. Well, that costs money and not every program was ready to allocate it. And so as a result, there are some people who really have no business working in the portal avenues who right now until further notice are having to work in the portal avenues. It is a madhouse behind the scenes in some of these programs. I know it looks crazy out here on the surface. It's just as crazy or even more crazy behind the scenes. So I got some names that I want to give you. We're going to do this as long as we need to because these are the names that are popping on my radar. These are the names I'm hearing about. Jaheim Bell is one that everyone's talking about. That's a tight end that is in the portal from South Carolina. Uh, I know Brad Crawford said some things earlier today about him, I think, on Twitter. He may have also written an article about it because Brad writes like 550 articles a day on a slow day. And he he said what he had heard was lack of playing time, not lack of playing time, lack of production and lack of NIL opportunity. Those were two of the contributing factors, which on the surface makes sense because his receiving yards went down this year. He played in every game, so it's not like he was out a bunch due to injury. He's the top rated tight end in the portal. He is a pass catching tight end. He's not an inline blocker. To give you an idea of the level of athleticism we're talking about here, He also played four games at running back. So you can imagine as we watch Dalton Kincaid out in Salt Lake City, as we watch Brock Bowers at Georgia, we're in that, hey, let's go find our Brock Bowers status for a lot of programs out there right now. And I'm not saying that Jaheim Bell is that. I am saying there are no shortage of suitors. A lot of folks were, frankly, surprised that his name was in the portal. And that's the other thing you want to gauge. See, I'm about to talk about a kid in a second where. The program and the fan base wasn't as surprised that he hopped in. I think South Carolina fans were kind of surprised that Jaheem Bell hopped in. So keep, a na- keep an eye on that name. Dante Thornton is a name, a wide receiver, 6'5", 200 pounds. He is transferring, or at least he's in the portal, to transfer from Oregon. He came on late in the year. So the more you watched Oregon down the stretch, chances are the more you saw him. He was the number 57 overall player in the class of 2021 came in with a lot of hype. I I was one who hyped him. I loved his game. I still like his game. It was a situation where he he did not crack the starting rotation immediately. What happened with Oregon this year is they had some injury situations at wide receiver, and then Dante Thornton, because of those injuries, was inserted into the starting lineup and did some good things. It's not like he necessarily took over the Pac-12, but did some really good things. He could be a plug and play guy. It could be that you saw him scratch the surface of his potential at Oregon. You, you don't have a bunch of 6'5, 200 pound wide receivers out there with at least some experience and some production. So the Oregon fans weren't necessarily shocked that he went in the portal. Uh, they've had a couple of guys go in there. Justin Flo, the, the linebacker, went in the portal. But Dante Thornton's a name I'm keeping my eye on. And I say keeping my eye on him in a sense that I'm picturing him. Being plugged into the right system. You know, being married with the right quarterback, offensive coordinator, you get the drill. Next up, speaking of quarterback, Devin Leary, this one commanded a lot of attention yesterday, is in the transfer portal. Been at NC State a while. He's a three-year starter. If you go back just a few months, guys, we talked about him on here, on this show, on the fringes of the Heisman conversation. All I did was really mention he was on the fringes, as you know, I don't do a whole lot of Heisman, even though I'm gonna do a segment on the Heisman tonight on this show, but his, his consideration, I think, was warranted because of what NC State was in position to maybe do. Now, they ended up not doing it. He had a pec injury, and so his season was not what they hoped it would be. Still got eligibility left here. He is one of six ACC quarterbacks just so far in the portal. And to remind you, because all of this is brand new, What we have here is we have a 45-day window. That's the adjustment. That's the alteration that's been made from the NCAA. No longer can you just go into the portal anytime you want to. You got to jump in in either this 45-day window or, and it's a big or here, or at the end of spring practice, there's another window. And so, you know, right now the talk behind the scenes in college scouting departments is, let's say we're in the market for a quarterback. I'm just going to throw some names out here. These are generic examples. This is not to lead you to believe I know something. Devin Leary's in the portal, though, so I don't have to make that up. We know that. And let's say at Pate State, I need a quarterback. And I've got Leary scouted. Let's say I got a B-plus grade on him. But for some reason, I think at Alabama, they're going to go through spring, and Ty Simpson's going to lock down the starting job, and maybe Jalen is going to go in the portal. And for my offense, I've got Milrow graded at an A-minus. Do I take Leary right now if I can get him, or do I wait until after spring? Because that's no man's land. That is, that is beyond the point of no return, and if I don't get a quarterback, I'm cooked. I will be fired. And we have a short leash at Pate State, as you well know. What do I do? You know, that's a conversation that's being had. Those are serious conversations that are being had right now. So anyone looking for an immediate starter at quarterback, that's him. A healthy Devin Leary is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. We'll see. Next up, Dominic Lovett. I don't think a lot of you are familiar with this name. You should be. If you watch SEC football, you probably remember. Anytime you played Missouri this year, he had his hands on the ball. 5'10", 187 pounds, can run really, really fast. He's got really good speed, got extremely good hands. One of the best pass catchers in America this year. First team All-SEC at wide receiver. That's what they're losing there. Remember Luther Burden came in there as a true freshman this year. And all the preview magazines would have led you to believe Luther Burden's going to be the immediate plug-and-go number one receiver on that team. And Luther Burden was on the field, uh, but this cat was their best wide receiver. Dominic Lovett was their best wide receiver. Now, notice the difference in body type. You you got Dante Thornton over there, 6'5", 200. You got got Dominic Lovett, 5'10", 187. So we're starting to see some variety of skill set enter the portal at the wide receiver position. Those hands, especially, think about your team this year. Did you struggle with drops? Did you maybe have guys who have good top-end speed, but you can't count on them to catch the ball to save their life? Well, there's a guy here who has a blend of both of those traits. And as you can imagine, the second Dominic Lovett's name went in the portal. His, his, his I-DOM blew up, probably. Uh, charge that battery, Dominic. Fentral Cypress is another name I want you to keep your eye on. This is a defensive player. He's a defensive back, actually currently the number one rated player. Is it the player overall, Jesse, or is it just the corner? Okay, he's overall the number one rated player in the portal right now. He's a corner, and he's a grad transfer, by the way, out of Virginia. Led the ACC in pass breakups. Ohio State is a major player here. I think Wilfong earlier today on 247sports.com spoke about how he's hearing a lot of smoke and hearing a lot of rumblings about Ohio State. I think Tony Grimes also went in from North Carolina while I'm speaking about highly rated corners. So already, just through 24 hours, we've got a lot of names at a lot of different positions that bear watching. You're looking at Fentrell Cypress in the slider there. The top 10 right now. Leary's number two. I just spoke about him. Jaheim Bell, the tight end there, is number three. DJ Uyangile is in the portal. Hudson Card, quarterback from Texas, is in the portal. Javion Cohen, a starting guard from Alabama, entered the portal. Tomizy Adelaide, part of that big recruiting class for Texas A&M. He's in the portal. Uh, it's just getting started, guys. There's a, there is a big need for you if you want to be an informed fan to pay attention to this every day. There was a big need for us to go find a partner for our show once upon a time. That search is over. We don't have to go in the portal looking for new presenting sponsors because we have Academy Sports and Outdoors. And we appreciate them because we don't have to sweat the things that a lot of shows have to sweat, i.e., how are we going to pay our bills? How are we going to keep the lights on around here? How are we going to present this without charging people? The answer to all of those questions is this little blue banner behind me Academy Sports and Outdoors. Obviously, it's December, and where I'm from, that means Christmas is right around the corner. And I'm told you guys are working on that same calendar pretty much wherever you're watching us or listening to us. Academy Sports and Outdoors can help you get to the finish line. I know it seems insurmountable sometimes but they'll get you there. And you're probably going to walk into an Academy Sports and Outdoors and walk out a lot more loaded down than you expected, because I still get the sense that some of you aren't fully aware of the variety of selection. They have Big League Chew in the checkout line. Okay, so if they've got Big League Chew, chances are they've got everything else you need in life too, especially if you live like I do. And if you can't get there in person, I understand, can't have one in every neighborhood yet, academy.com. We've said it for a while. I'll tell you once more, your one-stop shop for everything you need in life. Let us continue. I've I've got to do this segment. I've got to take a sip from the chalice. And I've got to do a segment that I rarely do, my nose itches. It's not a segment about my nose itching. <sighs> All right, let, you know what? Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, the Heisman finalists have been announced. And who do we have? We have Max Duggan of TCU. we got C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Stetson Bennett from the University of Georgia. And Caleb Williams of USC fame. I've got an announcement for you tonight. Announcement number one. We will not spend the duration of this segment trashing Stetson Bennett. Trashing the good name of Stetson Bennett. We will not do that. Announcement number two. I think we got a big mess on our hands with the Heisman Trophy. Announcement number three. We, at Late Kick, happen to be of the opinion that Hendon Hooker got screwed in all of this by the same crowd that screwed Will Anderson, by the same crowd who screwed Kenneth Walker last year. Yes, friends, Hendon Hooker belongs in your heart, and then he also belongs in New York City. And he can only be in one place, as it turns out, because the Heisman voters made sure that he would not be in the other. I've got a problem, I've got a long-standing problem with this award, and more specifically not the award, but how it's voted on. And you can really extrapolate that statement out across all of college football awards. Now, full disclosure, I am a voter for the Broyles Award, for example. Uh, The guy I voted for won today. Garrett Riley, TCU, congratulations, Broyles Award top assistant coach in the country. I'm not a Heisman voter, so I can say whatever I want to here. (sighs) I was telling Jesse earlier today, I don't necessarily know how to broach this without sounding very petty and bitter and scorned, so I'm just going to say it. I should be a Heisman voter. Because I know some other people who are Heisman voters. Some of them couldn't even care less about college football. Some of them just TV anchors in Des Moines, and therefore they're a Heisman voter. I don't even know how it happens. I don't pretend to know how it happens. I know I've forgotten more about this sport than a lot of people will ever know who have a vote on this thing. Now, the reason I get upset about it is not because I I wake up each morning checking the mailbox hoping I became a Heisman voter. It's not that. It's that this is the most prestigious individual award in our sport. I don't think it's too much to ask to have the most informed people about our sport voting on it. And yet you don't. And what happens is you get to the end of the year and there are some people, not all, there are a lot of very, very reputable people who vote on this that eat, sleep, and breathe this sport but there are some who do not and some who don't even love college football. They get to the end of the year and if they do submit their ballot, they pull up like collegefootballstats.com, which is probably a website and they check out some numbers there. One, two, three, four, mail it in and we're done. Haven't watched anything. Haven't even begun to broach the more nuanced aspects of what actually makes an outstanding player. Oh, and by the way, these people certainly are never looking past the quarterback position. Like God forbid, We admit that there are other positions of value on a football field aside from quarterback. (sighs) So anyway, yes, bitter, scorned, whatnot. I know it sounds that way. I just, um, I know that there are some people who really, really cover this sport at the ground level that aren't voting on this. And I know there are some people who are casuals at best when it comes to college football who are voting on this. And I've got a really, really big problem with folks like Hendon Hooker, guys like Hendon Hooker, not being Heisman Trophy finalists. Now, what I will not do, I told Jesse specifically, don't make me an A-B graphic. Do not show Stetson Bennett versus Hendon Hooker. That's not what this is about. Everyone and their brother trafficked in that last night. You don't have to trash Stetson Bennett. You don't have to, you don't have to do that thing where, who do you like? Bo or Herschel? Oh, Bo, Herschel sucked. No, Herschel didn't suck. Well, Herschel, Bo sucked. No, Bo didn't suck. They're both really, really, really good. Stetson Bennett, Hayden Hooker both had really, really good seasons. I'm not even here to do the A-B thing. I'm not here to do one or the other. I'm here to talk about an overarching issue because it's not just limited to 2022. Guys, you know that. Anybody who is watching college football, which should be everyone who votes on the Heisman but is not, understood last year. Will Anderson not being in New York City was a crime against college football. This year, everybody who has watched the sport, you don't even have to know how to observe it, just watch it, please, understands Hendon Hooker, not being a Heisman finalist, is a crime against college football. Oh, I I watched film, Josh. No, SportsCenter's not film. CBS Sports HQ, God bless them, is not film. You don't even know what film is. If I equipped you with film, you wouldn't know how to break it down to begin with. But at the very least, at the very least, it's not too much to ask to just watch whole games or even go on YouTube and just watch condensed games. You would be stunned. I really believe you would be stunned if you found out, on average, how little college football a lot of these voters watch. This sounds so common sense, but it really isn't. You've got folks like me who, who just—that we—, we Immerse ourselves in it all year. A lot of you guys are like that. In fact, let me go a step further. The average audience member for our show, the average listener or viewer of Late Kick, knows more about college football, watches, and ingests more college football than I would estimate 60% of Heisman voters do. That's real. That's truth. That's honesty. So if you think we are, in the most effective manner possible, deciding these awards, be my guest, we'll just agree to disagree. I got a big problem with how it's decided. So I've spoken my piece on it. I think Caleb Williams, for the record, is going to win this thing pretty convincingly. I've seen that some books have already taken the odds down. So it's not about Hindenhooker winning it or not. It's not that. It's just, it means something to be a Heisman finalist. It means something to have that on your resume. And because it means something, I just wish the process was taken a little more seriously. That's all I'm saying. We're going all over the place. Deion Sanders, his first few days at Colorado. I'm noticing more and more of you are becoming polarized in nature here. There are very few people remaining out there who are saying, Deon. hmm, don't really have a feel for that guy. Don't really have an opinion on him. Either you like his approach or you don't like his approach. I'm not here to relitigate the whole Jackson State, should he have left or should he have stayed thing. Is he a hypocrite? Was he dishonest? Everyone's spoken their piece. No one's changing their mind on that either. But there are some new little tidbits, little trinkets, little audio bites out there that I'm going to play in just a second that I want you to listen to along with me. Hopefully some of you still haven't heard what we're about to play, but even if you have, I want you to reserve judgment for just a second, and I want us to talk about this together, because as you know, sometimes we tend to present a differing point of view here than maybe you've heard elsewhere today or yesterday, because I think this clip Jesse, how old is this clip? Is it like one or two days old? When did he go out there? Sunday? Two days ago. Okay. So we've had some time to marinate on this. So what I want to talk to you about for just a second here are the roster management tactics being implemented in Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado, by one Deion Sanders. Now, what I'm about to show you is footage from his introductory speech to his team. And boy, do I use the term team loosely, because I happen to think you are seeing the last of a number of kids in this room as it relates to them being Colorado Buffaloes. So I want, Colin, I want you to tee up this audio. It's going to be a little bit hard to hear. Don't worry. I'll kind of recap it for you on the back end. Let's roll it. I hey, guarantee
0: It's going to be some special. Huh? We got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me. And it's Louis. I'm coming. It ain't gonna be no more of a mess that these wonderful fans, the student body, and some of your parents have put up with for probably two decades now. I'm coming. And when I get here, it's gonna be changed. So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal. And do whatever you're going to get. Because the more you jump in, the more wound you make. Because we bring kids that are smart. Say that. Smart. Smart. Tough. 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 Fast. Fast. Discipline. 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 With character. Care. One more time. Smart. 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 Tough. 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 Fast. Fast. Discipline. 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 With character. With character.
1: That's the ones we're going to get. Is that you? Yes, sir. Is that you? Yes, sir. <laughs> Is that you? He can't do that, can he? He can't treat college kids like that. He can't tell those college kids they don't all have spots. He can't tell those college kids he's bringing other kids along with him. Boy, I heard that a lot today. Boy, I heard that a lot yesterday. And boy, I heard it a lot as soon as it happened Sunday. What world do we live in now? I guess is my retort. What world do we live in? What world, what college football world is this now? Is it 1995? Is it 05? Is it 2015? Or is it 2022? I should have chosen something on the twos. Deion Sanders can't talk to those kids like that. Uh, He can't talk to what like that? Those aren't kids. You have made it emphatically clear to me, those are not kids. Those are adults. Those are full grown men. Why? Because they are over 18 years old and therefore they deserve the same rights that their classmates do. They should be able to move about the country as much as they want to, like at Southwest Airlines. They should be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, and you're right about that. Those are the perks of being an adult. Those are the things you get to do that a 13-year-old doesn't necessarily get to do. That's the difference in being an adult and being a kid. Here's the downside. We don't get to come into to work here. You don't get to drive to work tomorrow morning and live a risk-free life as an adult, do you? Sure, you get some perks. They give you a paycheck that's kind of sizable, hopefully every one or two weeks. You get some vacation. You know, you get to live your life, in some cases, the way you want to, but there's that nasty word, consequence, that comes along with it. Meemaw used to tell me all the time, adults don't get to enjoy the rewards of adulthood, without the consequences of adulthood. And what Deion Sanders just did is the same thing your new boss does when he walks in. You get that email on Friday, so-and-so's been let go, new management's here Monday, you sweat it out all weekend. Why? Because you know your job may not be safe. Why is that? Because the new guy or the new woman may not like you. They may not have room for you. Your role may not even exist in their new organizational flowchart. What is that called? It's called life. And what Deion Sanders just served up there, that's life. You're able to do some things adults are able to do, I'm able to treat you like an adult. And what an adult does when he takes over is he comes in and he says, it's gonna be my way. A lot of you don't have a seat on my bus, and since they hired me, I'm gonna be the one to make the decision, and I don't really care how you feel about it. In fact, he went as far as to encourage guys to hop in the portal. Why? He needs them to. He wants to filter that room out. That's a room that went 1-11 this year. Suffice it to say, there aren't many usable parts for what Deion Sanders wants to do at Colorado that are currently sitting in that room that went 1-11. Now, he'll find some diamonds in the rough there, and there's some guys who are gonna stick it out because there are some winners in that room, and he knows that. And here's the thing about winners. You can talk to them as tough as you want to because they're just gonna look you in the eye right back, nod their head, and they're gonna shake your hand firm, and then when it comes time for a spring ball, uh, they're gonna tear it up and they're gonna take workouts seriously, and they're going to seamlessly ascribe to your messaging and your tactics and your way of doing things and your culture, and that's great. Most of them aren't, though. I don't know what the number is. We were kinda playing around with some over-unders. 20, 25, how many of those guys will be in this program when they take the field for week one next fall? It won't be many. Which brings me to my next point, and that is USC. Last year, around this time, we were breaking the news, not on this show, but the news was breaking that Lincoln Riley was doing what? He was leaving Oklahoma, he was going to USC, it's mushroom cloud over the entire sport, right? And then someone somewhere said, guys, you're not paying attention to the right part of the story. The story is not Lincoln is going to USC. The story is how many of his players are about to transfer penalty-free with him to USC. And then we found out, didn't we? And we also found out there were players at other programs that thought, wait a second, USC's taking football seriously. They hired a really good coach. I want to go play there. You know, Travis died, boom, left Oregon, went and played there. So a lot of guys did that. Well, a lot of guys are about to do that at Colorado too. I've seen some of the estimates, the amount of four and five-star caliber players who have reached out. He's not going to have room for all of them. You know, you can have 85 scholarship players. I know what I'm saying when I tell you he doesn't have room for all of them. There are going to be thousands of kids in that portal, and a big chunk of them are going to reach out to Deion Sanders in Colorado. They won't have room for all of them. And so we're talking about a historic percentage of a roster that's about to be flipped in less than one calendar year. It will make what Lincoln Riley did look tame by comparison. And what Lincoln Riley did to this point, I think is the most radical one-season roster transformation that we've seen, at least for a major program. So it's special circumstances, and I think that Deion Sanders may be about to set a record that we don't see broken for a long time, because I'm not quite sure you're ever going to have this big a change agent take a job this bad and take over a program this destitute. Destitute? We made it all the way to December. My goal was to work destitute into the show one time this year, and I did it. So yeah, things are about to change at Colorado. And now, I, I, I expect what's going to happen is you're going to hear a lot of upset anonymous parents and anonymous players start to go to, to various friendly media sources and outlets, and they're going to kind of air their grievances. And here's what's going to happen on this show. I don't know how the rest of the national media is going to handle it, but here's what's going to happen on this show. I'm going to read it. I'm going to say, that's too bad. And then I'll just move on with my life. It's no different than if one of my buddies tells me I got fired Friday. It's too bad. I hate it for you. I may even Venmo you some money to borrow. But what I can't do is say, oh, that's not fair. It is fair. Well, 95% of the time it's fair. And in this case, Deion Sanders walking in that room and saying, I don't need some of you. I got my own guys coming. And I wish a lot of you just kind of go ahead and hit that portal if you know what I mean. It's all fair now. Those are adults. Those are men. Those are not boys. If that was a high school locker room, I'd have a problem with it. That's not. That's a locker room, college football locker room, full of full-grown men. Why? Because you wanted it that way, and I didn't push back. I merely suggested on this show, once upon a time, it's not going to be quite as fun as you think it's going to be, when you find out what the world of NIL and Portal is really all about. Because really what you're finding out is you have professionalized sports. And those right there, sitting in that room, they may have gone one and 11 last year. Those are professionals. Deion Sanders is a professional. He just happens to be mister to them. He's their boss. And he's got the corner office and one by one, they're kind of getting called in there and and they're being told in no uncertain terms, we don't have a spot for you. Sorry, buddy up the road northern Colorado. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Idaho. You want to go be a Vandal? You're not going to be a Buffalo next year. Hate it for you. Uh, please clean out your locker, though, and use Lysol while you're at it. Be classy. <sighs> it's time. It's, first off, before I get to the segment that I have been waiting for for so long, I want to remind you. If there, let's do some quick math. Jesse, get your calculator ready. Let's just say there are about 4,300 people watching our show which there are right now. And let's say only 559 of them have clicked the thumbs up button. Should I go on a hunger strike because of that ratio? I think I should because it is it's abhorrent. And I want to remind you guys, big M management is in town, not little m management, okay? Big management is in town. And if if they walk in here tomorrow and I don't have more than 1000 likes on a live video where I got over 4300 tuned in, I could get the Deion Sanders treatment. I don't want it. So, um, you know, short of putting the show behind a paywall, I really mean it. Look, I'm going to copy and I'm going to paste the message into the chat. Now, keep the show free. How do you do it? Subscribe to the channel and like the videos. That's it. Thank you. I'm almost as salty about that number as I am about Hendon Hooker missing out on New York City and the Heisman Trophy. But I'm about to put a smile back on my face because we're going back in time. And one of our favorite exercises throughout the rest of December and possibly January is going to be revisiting your bold predictions. We chummed the water, and we cast the net far and wide over the summer, and you were happy to oblige, and we thank you, and you gave us your boldest predictions. I only had one rule. Any prediction you give me, you have to be willing to bet your money on. And uh, Colin and Jesse, I think we did like 31 segments of bold predictions, and we did five per segment. You got that calculator out still? Do the math on that we got a long way to go here. I'm going to do five of them tonight. First up, bold prediction from August. And we're going all the way to the Pac-12. Ion said, a Pac-12 team is going to make the college football playoff, and it's not Utah. <coughs> nope, I put a nine on that. And I was right. And you were right. Ru- I'm not going to do it like that. But this only should have been a seven and a half. Because as it turns out, USC got shockingly close. In fact, you could argue that USC is one Caleb Williams hammy injury away from actually making the college football playoff, in which case this would have been right. There are going to be a lot of close but no cigars in this game. It is college football after all. USC was good. Oregon was good. Now, they didn't make the playoff. I'm just saying there were some more teams out there that became a much bigger threat than any of us probably thought they would. USC, certainly. I mean, that, that's chief among them, but Oregon UCLA hung around for a little while. Washington hung around for a little while. Who could have known Oregon State was going to be? Actually, we called them the biggest sleeper in the country. So we could have known that Oregon State was going to be a little bit better than America indicated they could be. A Pac-12 team not named Utah makes the playoff. And as it turns out, no Pac-12 team made the playoff, period. That extends a run that goes all the way back to when Washington made it. So it's been a little while, but I really, I'm going to stand by this. I think the Pac-12 was a good conference this year. I'm just going to stand by that. Pac-12 Pate has to say something along those lines. Next up, our buddy Jack said, Tennessee will win the SEC East. (laughs) Nope. I put an 8.5 on this for boldness, and it checks out. But, but, I am willing to cede that I probably had a little bit too high a boldness rating on this. Probably should have been an 8 maybe a seven and a half, seven and three quarters, if we really want to get specific. I gave reasons, though. And I said, I think they'll be an offensive juggernaut. I don't think they'll be consistent enough defensively. Now, as it turns out, they weren't going to get through Georgia. Ironically, they beat Alabama. You know, I I thought that Alabama being on the schedule, whereas Bama didn't play Georgia, I thought that was going to be the decider. But really, the Georgia game was the decider. And when you watched it unfold, They weren't going to beat Georgia, and if they played again, I don't think they'd beat them either. But here was the other part: they could have made the playoff and not won the SEC East. It's that blemish down there at the bottom at South Carolina, having the Gamecocks casually hang a 63 burger on you. That is the inadequacy defensively that made me put an eight and a half on this rating. Colin, you know what? I don't think I like this earpiece. I've decided I, I don't. You know. I'm going to make the unprecedented move. Excuse me for a second. I'm just going to take it off. All right. Now it's just me and you. I can't hear the control room. If my life depends on it, I will, well, I'll just cease to exist out here. So I put this at an eight and a half, and it pans out. But I am willing to to admit, Tennessee in the top 10 all year, probably not something that we saw coming, although the model did. So I guess I should give, you know, me and the model have been on bad terms lately. I guess I should give you a little credit, because you did have Tennessee power-rated eight preseason, and I knocked you for that, and for that, I apologize. And that's as good as I can do with the model right now, because it still loves Texas. The model would probably put Texas in the playoff right now if you gave it an opportunity. So, so the model, keep it at arm's distance, is what I would suggest you do with the model. Let's go to the Big 12. Oh, speaking of the horns, Vengeance hit us up. His bold prediction was that West Virginia makes it to the Big 12 championship game against Texas. Nope, 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 nope. This one's gross. This one is like throw up all over your keyboard gross. I put a nine and a half on this and I probably didn't go high enough. West Virginia was horrific. They finished ninth in the Big 12. Don't let the name of the conference fool you. They only got 10 teams out there and West Virginia was worse than nine of them. I don't want to tell you who finished 10th. It will only hurt my feelings. Now, Texas did end up third. So credit the Longhorns. They had an improved season. They finished eight and four. That's better than five and seven, which they were last year. But um, Kansas finished higher than West Virginia. Uh, and Kansas was six and six. So yeah, this one was not close. This one, this one, And I think most of us sniffed this one out. It's not like I was sleuthing. It's not like I was out sleuthing you guys on that one. Next up. This one, this one is, holds a special place in my heart for all the wrong reasons. Kelly Ford said that Late Kick will pull off a doubleheader and attend two games on a single day. I'm not going to make the mistake of compounding it and trying to guess which date, but it's going to happen on a given Saturday. And I called this a 9. I put a 9 on the boldness scale. And it turned out we almost pulled it off. In fact, I woke up the morning of week 6. Fully expecting to attend two games that day. Remember, and you know how rarely I use this sentence, we had private plane issues that day. Yes, that's how we roll, or, or don't. So we were going to go Tennessee-LSU that morning, and then we were going to go A&M-Alabama that evening. But then we kind of got stuck in Tuscaloosa. As it turns out, we caught the better game of the day, because Tennessee just drug LSU for four quarters whereas Alabama A&M came down to the last play, but this, this should have been lower. You know, we were so close. It, it was just that small issue of not being able to get a plane off the ground. That's how close we were to being able to go to two games in one day. So I called that a nine on the boldness scale. I think it should have been a five. I did not have access to the information I shortly thereafter had access to. Next up, I guess we're going back to the Big 12 here. Jackson said Blake Shapen takes Baylor back to the Big 12 title game, and the Bears win it. <laughs> nope, I put a six on that. I think it's because I agreed with him at the time, uh, but it's it's his prediction, not mine. So he's wrong, not me. That was a six. It should have been a seven and a half because Baylor ended up six and six. They ended up six. A lot of sixes here. They ended up sixth in the Big 12 out of ten teams. And um, here's the other downside. It's not like they lost a whole bunch of close games. It's not like they lost six games by a combined 20 points. They lost to Texas by double digits. They lost to Oklahoma State by double digits. They lost to Kansas State by four touchdowns. They did lose close to West Virginia. Yeah, point being they lost to West Virginia, and they lost to TCU by one. Baylor uh, ended up not really being that close this year, so I guess I should have put about a seven and a half on that one out of six. Uh, You notice a theme that has emerged so far everyone wants to hate on me for my predictions well so far you guys went 0 for 5 there now i am told that down the road not too far from now we're going to have some segments where some of you hit out of left field on some bold predictions in fact some predictions i put a nine or above on you hit so i'm enjoying it right now because i i think the mood is going to change very very shortly I see you guys got us over 1,000 likes pretty quickly. I appreciate that. We will have a Christmas around here after all. All right, let's move on. Let's dive into the Late Kick mailbag, take a sip out of the Chalice. I'm almost out, actually. Some of you have suggested that we should actually make chalai for sale in the Late Kick store. I'm just not ready to do it yet. There may be some new products coming soon, but I'm not ready to make chalai available for general purchase. Because then it's kind of like expanding the playoff. Once you know everyone can have one, they kind of lose their value, don't they? All right, let's dive into the mailbag here. Interesting question. I I think it's the perception of a lot of you, so I'm glad Dan asked. Dan hit us up and he said, why have Dabo and Saban started to slip at the same time? (sighs) Slip. A A weird way to put it there, Dan, but I will acknowledge the question as it was worded what does slip mean? What do we mean by this? Do we mean they're not playing for the national title every year? They did play four consecutive years in the playoffs. So if we do mean they're slipping as in they're not in the playoff this year, I guess, shame on Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, they're slipping. I don't necessarily know that I'm ready to say they're slipping. I would go a bit further on Clemson than Alabama, but I'll hit on both of them since you asked about both of them. So Alabama lost two games this year. They lost two by four points. The contrarian would walk in the door right now, if I had two mics, and they would grab the other mic and they would say, yeah, but they won a bunch of close games too. I, I know that. So what I'm not here to do is say, hey, this was a vintage Alabama team that just caught some bad breaks. No, it was a team that beat Texas by one. They beat A&M by four. Uh, they, oh, look at this. They beat Old Miss by one possession. So yeah, there were some close games there, and I understand that this was an Alabama team that a lot of people, myself included, thought would win the national championship. And they're not playing even in the playoff. So yeah, by that metric, I guess expectation-wise, they slipped a little bit this year. They played for the national championship last year. They won it the year before. (laughs) What slipping are we talking about? We're, We're right now, as far as I can tell, we're talking about a season that didn't quite live up to the loftiest of expectations. That happens a lot. There are a lot of years. I mean, I guarantee a lot of you picked Ohio State to go to the playoff, and until they got some help, it looked like they were out of it. Last week, as recently as last week. So there's just an insanely high standard for Alabama. But at the same time, I do think that it's it's a very valid thing to say that you have some areas of concern. My biggest area of concern for Alabama has been player development. You know, two years in a row, I I just told you they played for the title last year. They don't without Jamison Williams. And I don't think it's any coincidence, by the way, that Jamo did what he did last year and was able to walk right in and grab a starting spot, the starting spot. And oh, by the way, a lot of those receivers who you thought would be on the field that weren't last year and maybe didn't shine this year are hitting the portal. JoJo Earl's in the portal. Christian Leary's in the portal. Treshawn Holden's in the portal. They got a lot of receivers leaving town. They just didn't develop that group nearly to the degree they had been. Now, what they had been doing was Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy and and Jalen Waddell. So yeah, I mean, they had historic receiver rooms for a few years. I, I think there's a happy medium between what Bama was in those few years where they had all those first round guys. What they have been and what they could be, you know? All, all the Bama folks want is what they could be. So, yeah, uh, Jameer Gibbs came in this year. Jameer Gibbs and Bryce Young, Bryce Young's not a transfer, but Jameer Gibbs comes in again this year, and he is the focal point of their offense. Once the ball leaves the hands of Bryce Young, he is their offense in some of those games. And my point there is they're not developed in-house. And it's not because Bama is, is filling... Gaps left by recruiting classes that finished in the teens or 20s. Bama's in the top five near number one, if not number one, every year. They're about to land the number one class in the country again. They are a runaway number one right now in the 2023 recruiting class rankings. What does it mean if you can't develop guys? Now, when I say can't develop guys, again, I'm talking about the Bama standard, the one where everybody should maximize their potential. Every year they should be playing for the title. Is it an insanely high standard? Yes. Is it warranted? Also, yes, because that's what Nick Saban's built there. So if you want to acknowledge slippage as being a couple of years where maybe player development, I'd add defensive tackle in here. You know, I don't think on the interior of the defensive line, they've been what they have been in the more vintage Alabama years. As for Clemson, this is one where I think you got to dive in a little deeper. Because as I have told you before, there could be some serious slippage that it just takes a few years to see firm evidence of in the win-loss column. I know they lost two games this year. Let's be real. They still won the ACC. Uh, They were still overwhelmingly, it ended up being the best team in the conference this year. So what I mean when I tell you it may take a few years is If I take a a jet airliner and I'm at 35,000 feet and we're going probably ground speed about 500 to 550 miles an hour, if I just kill both engines, boom, it's dead stick, it's just gliding at that point. Even then, it still takes a while for that plane to hit the ground because of all of the energy it's built up and the altitude it's built up and the speed it's built up. And football programs are the same way. So even if Clemson was not just slipping, even if they were tumbling, yeah, I acknowledge it would take a little while. They're not just going to go three and nine all of a sudden. So just because they won the ACC this year, you could argue, does not mean there isn't some slippage. I get that, OK? What I am trying to say is, if that's the case, if I found the magic ingredients to power those engines back up, I could save that plane and get it back up to 35,000 feet relatively quickly. So if it hasn't gone into a full-blown tailspin at Clemson, which it hasn't, then even if you're right, I still think some changes could be made here. But point blank, I am of the opinion they are as close to the playoff this year at, well, not losing to South Carolina, frankly. That is what cost them a playoff spot, as it turns out. But really, if you want to get more granular there, if he starts Cade Klubnik sooner than he does, they're in the playoff. I firmly believe that. I said the other night, and I'll reiterate it again, I really am the last one in the world to question personnel decisions and play calling. You never hear me do it on this show. I just believe it. I believed it in the preseason. I believe Cade Clubnick was going to give them a better chance to win in the preseason. And even if that wasn't true the first few weeks, it became true at some point this year, and Dabo never pulled the trigger until it was too late, really. Because even though... He did pull the trigger, like in the conference title game, for example. Cade Klubnik doesn't start, but he eventually goes in and they run the score up and he goes like 20 of 24. I'm not talking about pulling the trigger soon enough to win the ACC. I'm talking about pulling the trigger soon enough to compete for a national championship. You may think to yourself, oh, even with Klubnik, Clemson wasn't going to be good enough to win the title. How do you know who's good enough to do what this year? I I will maintain That's the most open and opportunistic year for a flawed team to win the title in quite a while. Georgia folks are going to push back at me on that. I'm just telling you. You you, you got, even you, Georgia fans, you you got Tennessee at home this year. You had a very flawed LSU team in the conference title game. You haven't really been pushed. Now you've dominated, you've done everything an elite team is supposed to do. I'm just saying it is a very winnable year, and I don't know what could have happened. I'd love to find out. What could have happened if Dabo made the move earlier? But you remember 2018? How well do you remember that? I'm about to ask this question in another segment, so I'll ask it now. How well do you remember 2018? That was the fourth of four consecutive years where Bama and Clemson, Dabo and Sabin, faced off in the either the national championship game or the semifinal game. We were coming off Clemson, Bama Part Four. And at the time. This is only four years ago. At the time, I was being told by um, certain, certain casual pundits out there that the sport had to change. Otherwise, Clemson and Alabama were just going to leave everybody behind. You needed to expand the playoff. That's what I was told. And now I look around, and the, the natural life cycle that has always existed in this sport has taken care of Clemson and Alabama, it's not that they're gone, but look, neither one of them are in the playoff this year, and it's still the same size it was in 2015, 16, 17, 18. You see, here's the funny thing. There's this misconception that when teams become powerhouses, like Clemson and Bama were, and still are, but they were, and really run a rough shot over the sport for a little while, there's this misconception that every other program just sits still. And every other coaching staff just throws up their hands and I guess we'll just have to wait for Saban to retire. You know, I, I I guess we'll just have to wait for Dabo to decide he doesn't want to do football and go and do TV. That's not how competitors think, you know. So just because you thought at the time there was this insurmountable task, there was this unclosable gap between Clemson and Alabama and the rest of the sport, it may have looked that way at the time. But nobody was sitting still. Everybody had their focus on Alabama and Clemson. And as good as they are, as good as Nick Saban is, as good as Dabo may be, you've got the best in the world at some of these other major programs. Next to you, of course, you've got the best in the world and they've got resources too. You know, they can recruit too. They can coach too. They can X and O too. And they can go get players too. And they can instill in those players the right mentality too. And all of a sudden, you can have Josh Heupel turned Tennessee into what they are now. You could have Lincoln Riley turn USC into what they are now. You could have Brian Kelly come to LSU and turn LSU around. The point is, the sport was never going to sit still. Those teams were never, nobody has ever cruised for a decade or 15 years and just been the best team in America every year. That never happens. It doesn't happen in the pros. It doesn't happen in college football. But you know what you did in the process? You turned the entire sport upside down, trying to accomplish something that was gonna happen anyway. You didn't need to change college football fundamentally. Dabo and Saban were eventually gonna get beat. Nick Saban and Alabama were eventually not gonna be the best program in America anymore. I don't know if we're there yet, by the way, but it was going to happen if it hadn't happened already. Clemson was gonna face some bumps on the road. And if it hadn't happened already, it will soon happen. I would argue it's happening right now, you didn't have to change the sport fundamentally to accomplish it. Football and competition would have accomplished it. Instead, you torch the entire forest and, oh, look at that, but, look at, but before, before we even put out the fire, turns out it was gonna happen anyway. But you can't, you can't rebuild what you changed in order to accomplish these things. Now, I know a lot of people are gonna say, well, how do you know that part of the changes didn't contribute to this? Well, I know it because, you know what? Let me back up. I guess I can't definitively prove that. So I guess you could tell me, and I don't have definitive proof otherwise, you could tell me the transfer portal is what neutralized them. I have a hard time buying that because Alabama cherry-picks in the transfer portal. Now, you could make a little side conclusion that Dabo's unwillingness to traffic in the portal voluntarily putting Clemson at a competitive disadvantage? I believe that. Guy can run his program however he wants to, but I believe that when your opponents are dipping into a resource and you have access to it and, and you're abstaining from it voluntarily, yeah, I do, I do agree with that. I also would add a side side note that I think we may see Dabo Swinney change his stance on that a little bit. I think we may see Clemson Specifically at the receiver position, go and get one or two pieces out of the portal. And if they don't, I, I really, really question the direction there at that point. So slippage—Are they slipping? I guess. I guess, as Mimo would say, slippage is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, Mimo has her own Twitter account, and I don't know which one of you did it, but it's been pretty funny to watch. So keep it up.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All
1: right, let's continue. Uh, Let's go back into the the late kick mailbag. You never know what you're going to find in here. Georgia man, a.k.a. Freddie Hayes to some of you, hit us up. He said, hey, if Georgia wins another title, where does Kirby rank nationally? I assume he means in the head coach power ratings, Uh, he'd be, I guess, number one. I'm silent because I want you to yell at me. I know a lot of you are. So I look at this a different way. I always have. Whether we're measuring jobs or coaches or whatnot, whether I'm power rating teams or not, I always look strictly from this point moving forward, okay? Even as I say that, I'm going to look in the comments later and someone's going to tell me Kirby can't possibly be number one over someone like Nick Saban because he doesn't have as many national championships. And then I'm just going to say, did you listen to what I said? And then they're going to type in all caps back at me and it's a vicious circle or cycle. If Kirby were to win another national title this year, I mean, he would have gone back to back. They are the favorites to do so. And they have every aspect of their program humming. There's an excellent synergy over there. I don't think Kirby could coach another 20 years and have more synergy amongst a coaching staff and an organization than he has right now. They got it rolling right now. That's not a promise. It'll always be that way. It's very, very hard to create what they have over there right now. And the thing about it is, when you have it, everyone wants it. And everyone comes and tries to poach. And everyone's got an advancement opportunity professionally for some of your guys. You're on rung three there, I'll put you on rung two over here. So that's the here and now. But if he were to win it, then certainly you could at least have that conversation. I I think it'd get really dumb. And some people would say some really regrettable things on both sides of the aisle. But that's not what I want to do. I gave you my my token answer. Yeah, I guess it'd be number one or 1A if that makes you happy. Do you remember December 2021? We were looking at B-roll there, January 2022. But do you remember December 2021? Let me take you back. Let's hit the old rewind button here. January 2021, or um, I'm going to restart that because I think we're going to clip this for later. Keep rolling, Colin. December 2021, you remember it? December 2021, it's only a year ago. December 2021, this week, as a matter of fact, Kirby Smart is getting harpooned by some of his own fan base and by the national media. And let me tell you what they're saying about Kirby Smart one year ago today. They're saying it doesn't matter how much he wins in the regular season. It doesn't matter how many number one recruiting classes he has. It doesn't matter how many guys are projected to go first round in the draft. Because he can't beat Nick Saban, and he can't win the big one. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? One year ago. Just the same as they were telling you Stetson Bennett can't start the playoff games. He just lost to Alabama. Put JT Daniels in. They were telling you Kirby Smart can't win the big one. Man, so much changed in January, didn't it? And now, lo and behold, I got folks asking me, is Kirby Smart the best head coach in the country? Same folks. Same ones if you go to their tweet history. Same ones saying, Kirby can't win the big one. Hey, y- y'all got, y'all got Mark Rick 2.0 over there. You can't win the big one. Foolishness. It was always foolishness. They lost to him in 2017, they lost to him in 2018, they lost to him in 2020, and one year ago last week they had lost to him for a fourth straight time. Kirby was 0-4 against Nick Saban. Beat him once in the national championship game, the most important game you can play in, and now I got folks telling me, well, not only is he bad past Nick Saban, but man, he's number one overall in the country if he wins another one. Will you people make your mind up? Understand. You could have your opinions move at the speed of honey instead of water on this sort of thing. If I put drops of both on a plate and turn it sideways, water just falls right off. And that's some of you. He's the best. No, he's not the best. He'll never win the big one. Man, the guy's going to win five of the next ten. And there's the drop of honey. Just beop, 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 beop. It's still moving. It's moving very, very slowly. That honey is wise. That honey knows things don't really change all that radically. Kirby Smart, I got blasted last year. Because I told you I thought he already was one of the two best coaches in college football. I put him at number two. And, and you blasted me because you said, How could you have him above Dabo Swinney? Dabo's won multiple titles and Kirby hasn't. And I said point blank from this point moving forward, I think I would take Kirby at Pate State. We haven't talked, there's been no negotiation. I don't want to start any rumors. I'm just saying if Pate State had an opening, and I did happen to target Kirby or Dabo, and I had both available, because why wouldn't we? I think I'd go after Kirby. And people thought that was crazy because, well, he doesn't have as many national titles. And I, if you're judging resumes, if this is a LinkedIn.com competition, that's one thing. But this is the real world. And we're talking about present time moving forward. So, I guess the follow-up there, if you're trying to rank him, if they are to win the national championship, I guess the follow-up would be, uh, what do you expect from Nick Saban moving forward? See, some of you probably expect he's about to retire, and he's not. And some of you probably expect Nick Saban is a little downtrodden because they didn't perform better this year. Uh, he, well, there's one way to describe his mood and his attitude as it relates to this year. I don't think downtrodden is it. Now, Abner and Alabaster, Wayne and Wetumpka, you know, uh, Sylvia and Silicaga, they may be a little bit downtrodden. They may be down in the dumps. They may have their daubers down. Nick Saban's just going to go on a warpath. He's going to fire everyone, and he's going to portal kids out of there because he has a button that does just that, and they'll have a new-looking team next year. I know some of you have been hitting me up saying, I thought you said these coordinators were going to be gone hmm Yeah, I said that. Still saying it for the record. So coordinators is a plural term. I'm not definitive on two of them being gone. I am very certain on one of them being gone. And you can guess which side of the ball I'm talking about. So yeah, I think there are a lot of changes still to come there. I, I don't think Nick my point is, I think Nick Saban will be fully recharged on a moment's notice and they'll be right back in the thick of things again next year. I just think Kirby Smart's that good. It's it's wild to me to just kind of put a cap on this segment and this show really, it is wild to me that someone else has been able to raise a program to the level that Saban has Alabama operating. I never thought it would happen. I never ever thought until that guy left college football, anyone else would get their program operating even remotely on a comparable level. And Kirby did it. Time and time again, we we've seen coaches, even since Kirby was at Alabama, we've seen coaches Come to Alabama, leave Alabama, try and duplicate Alabama and fail miserably because it doesn't matter if you have the blueprint. Nick Saban's never even been bashful about talking about his approach. He does clinics. He has coaches come in there and brainstorm and share ideas. Why has he never been shy about sharing his secret sauce? Because he knows the sauce is not the secret. He is, and there's not another one of them out there. And he was almost right, because there haven't been. But there is one now. And he's over in Athens, Georgia. He worked under him for a decade and a half. Kirby Smart pulled it off. He pulled off what I thought no one could ever pull off. Now, the Challenge 2.0 is what Nick Saban is most famous for and what I praise him the most for, and that is sustaining excellence over a decade. Dabo had a big flash. Dabo was in the title game in 15, he won it in 16, he won it again in 18, he was there again in 19. That was an incredible little brief stretch there. And Clemson may not be done. They may be recharging. Georgia is in sort of the prime period now as a program that Clemson found themselves in a few years ago. Will they sustain it long-term? That's what Nick Saban's done. He's had the number one program in America since, I would argue, 2009. And it never changes. There's never been a down, down year. There's never been the eight-win season. The closest they came was this year, and they still won double-digit games. I'm amazed at it, though. I'm not amazed that it happened at Georgia. You know, before I go, since we're talking about how much I've been blasted in the past, I got into it big time with uh, one Timothy Watts, who I'm told is giving a stirring speech in Sheffield, Alabama, as we speak. I got into it one time with Watts because I got asked an innocent question on this show. And it was, which job do you think is the best in college football? And very quickly, I answered Georgia. And of course, the usual blowback was, how can you say a program that at that point had not won a title in 38 years is better than one that's winning them every year or other year? And I said, well, you didn't ask me who I think the best head coach in college football is. You asked me which job I thought was the best. In other words, where is every resource I need to dominate the sport most readily available? And I thought the answer has been the University of Georgia for a long time. The fact that they hadn't won titles just means they'd underachieved. Trust me. I grew up there. I've long been aware of the underachievement nexus that had been Georgia football. And now it's changed. And so everyone can get on board now. Now it's cool to say, oh, Georgia's the number one job in the country. They were before Kirby Smart got there. When Kirby went there, it was akin to, you know, back in the day, Florida finally getting the right head coach. Because people knew for a long time, oh, I hope Florida never hires the right coach. Because Florida was bad but they were a great job. It's just no one had realized it. Texas A&M is that right now. Texas A&M is a sleeping Goliath. I don't know if Jimbo's the right guy. If they do ever get the right guy, Texas A&M can do that. Texas can do it. Like a lot of places can do it. I've just always thought Georgia was there. It was primed, and they happened to get the right guy. They, They did their due diligence. They didn't care. They didn't have any head coaching experience. They got the right guy, and as a result, He's got the program right there at the top echelon of college football, and he himself, as a head coach, is in the top echelon of college football. You know, I got a sneaking suspicion a lot of people in the control room over here thought we were about to have about a 40-minute show a little while ago. Nah, we were never going to be under an hour tonight. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Our audience retention is so incredible. We, We get a certain number of folks watching the show, and they just stay there. And that is worth its weight in something beyond gold in our industry because when we can take that to people and show them that you show up and you don't go anywhere, boy, it means a lot. So we appreciate that. Uh, Just make sure, especially this time of year because it means a little bit more in December, make sure that you are liking the videos, subscribing or following if you're in the podcast world. For some reason, they use different terminology over there. It helps, it helps, it helps. And coming up, I think it's the twenty-first, and they can't talk to me in my ear. Hey, you want to use the voice of God function, Colin? You want to tell me a yes or no there? I think on the twenty-first. Yes. Yeah. See, we got a speaker none of you know about. Uh, The twenty-first is national. It's early signing day. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through my calendar on the on the uh, air. No big deal. We got a big signing day show, so it's going to emanate from two places. I think I think I'm going to be down in Fort Lauderdale. And I think some people are going to be in Nashville. That's not nailed down, but we'll have everybody on deck. Now, remember, this is the thing. This is the event last year where Jimbo yelled at me, and I haven't forgotten. And this is also the day last year where Travis Hunter quite literally shocks the world, goes from being an FSU commit to going to Jackson State. Anyway, I'm starting to get you ready for that now. Because yesterday, we had the Transfer Portal Palooza show On the 24 7 Sports YouTube channel, which is different than this one. And I really need you guys to subscribe to both of them if you can. But the 24 7 Sports YouTube channel is where you're going to need to be to watch those special, really, really big tent pole event type shows. So, what are we today? We're the sixth today. The 21st is 15 days from now. You got plenty of lead time. That's gonna be a really, really big day because it's also, think about it, in the heart of transfer portal season. That's right before the playoffs, so don't miss shows. December is a pivotal month in this sport. A lot of things that will happen next year are because of what's going to be happening in December. So, anyway, you got all that. Okay, we're on our way out of here now. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Take care. We will be back here Thursday night. Until then, God bless.
0: old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars
2: and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast
0: listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts